Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Uh, We're going to be in Psalm 139. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open that up to Psalm 139. And the remainder of our time uh, that we have together, we're going to be there. We're going to continue in our series called Knowing God. Knowing God. And if you've been with us, we've been in the book of the Psalms, looking at different Psalms, because the Psalms show us a God that we can relate to as a person, right? Each time you see a psalm, what you're seeing is, is this author relating to God, not as a subject matter we can just learn more about, but as a person that we can relate to. And the working idea is that that's how God designed us, to know him, the person. And it's in knowing him that we find hope, that we find power, that we find freedom from those old sin struggles we could never break out of. All of that comes from knowing not information about God, but from God's presence with us. So for the month of January, we've been looking in the Psalms at what it means to know God. But today, today, instead of focusing on us knowing God, this Psalm is going to focus on God knowing us. We're going to kind of reverse the perspective we've been looking at. Psalm 139, uh, 139 is David talking, really like prayer singing is really more what it is. You know, the Psalms are, are songs, written as songs. And as he sings through this, it's divided up into five stanzas, just like a song would be. And each stanza focuses on a little bit of a different angle of God knowing him. And what I believe Psalm 139 is going to, what it's going to show us today is how good it is for us that God knows us. I hope this psalm is going to help, uh, especially in a couple of ways. Some of you are just going to walk away with a great deal of hope. It's really the thing I'm most excited for today, especially if you came in here feeling lonely or maybe feeling um, despair. Man, I think this psalm is what the embrace of God, your father, what it sounds like and what it feels like in words. Like to put words to that feeling, that's what this psalm is. Others of you, uh, you've maybe been operating, kind of going through the motions, like God is, is a part of your schedule. It's a weekend activity uh, that you do. You know, it's in your schedule like yoga or Econ 101 or the carpool line, right? You know, when you got to be there, you got to do it, and then you head out. And listen, David is just going to shatter the whole idea that you can put God in a box like that. And the best part is... The tone of this whole thing is how good, how good it is for us that God knows us. That's my hope for today, that you leave embracing the truth that God knows you better than you know yourself, and that's really good for you. It's so good. This this psalm is a prayer. David talking to God. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to structure this whole sermon. We're just going to walk through the psalm, and I'm going to structure this sermon like a prayer guide. You know, I often give you kind of points so that you can see what God's telling us as we go through it. The points today are just prayers. All right? It's going to make up a prayer. Um, you, we're going to call this the God Knows Me prayer. 
all right? Because I'm super creative like that, and this is just what it is, all right? But it is going to be a way that you can pray back through this psalm on your own in your community group, which will be, uh, this is such a great beginner set of prayers. So if you've never prayed before, listen, if you're kind of new to the whole church thing, you're like, I want to talk with God, I'm just a little sheepish about doing that, look, I'm going to set this up for you, a great beginner set of prayers that you can walk through, okay? So um, here we go. Let's jump in. Verse 1 of Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. Now, verse 1 especially is kind of a summary of the whole psalm. You've searched me and known me. Listen, search and known. You may start to feel this a little bit. That language almost evokes um, judgment, right? David doesn't say, God, you have briefly skimmed the pages of my life. That's not what he says. No, he says, you have searched me and known me. This is David saying, okay, God, you know everything going on with me, and that's good for me. In fact, here's your first um, the kind of opener of your prayer. God, you know everything going on with me, and that is good for me. God, you know everything going on with me, and that's good for me. Look at these verses. God knows when you sit down, when you stand up. Listen, God is actively aware of the most mundane events of your life. He sees it all. He knows it all. I mean, look at it, two through four. He sees what you do. I mean, the very inconsequential, sitting up and, and standing and sitting back down, David's saying, God's not just concerned with the highlight reel, right? He knows about it all and he cares about it all. He sees where you go. This means your morning commute when you're sitting in traffic. God sees you right there. When, uh, when he says, you observe, David says, you observe me. That's active tense. Everywhere you go, bathroom, bedroom, vacation, work, wherever, everywhere you go, he sees it all. And he knows what you are, did you see that in verse four, thinking about saying. Knows what you're thinking about saying. All right, you remember that Christmas dinner with your weird cousins? Where you were like so proud of yourself because you held your tongue because you didn't say what you really wanted to say? And just, you just need to remember God is sitting right there going, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I remember what you were going to say there. That was an interesting choice of words you had for cousin Eddie, right? <laughs> that you chose not to say. He, he says he sees what you think about. You understand my thoughts from far away. He knows all your ways. He knows the why behind all of your actions. He knows the why behind the actions you do take and the ones you don't take, which cuts both ways. It means all of your good intentions that you had, even though you fumbled your words, God sees those. But he also sees those manipulative plans that you're trying to pull off for your own ends. He knows it all. And then David goes even further if that's possible. He says, verse five, you've encircled me. You've placed your hand on me. Encircled literally is you have set up camp behind me. You set up camp in front of me. He's seen your past. He knows your future and he has his hand on you. The hand, uh, this hand of God, it's gonna continue to come up in the Psalm. It's gonna be a beautiful thread of God's caring, protective presence that runs throughout. He sees you because he's beside you. He sees everything and he's right there with you. Now, I wanna stop for a second. I want to pause. I want to let you take stock of how you are feeling about all of this. All right. Can you even get your head around it? I mean, can you imagine a screen that ran a 24 seven display of every action, thought and feeling you were having the moment you were having it? 
right? Like when you do something, uh, most of my teenage years was me doing something and my dad looking at me and going, what were you thinking? Right? That was <laughs> most of it. Can you imagine if we had a screen running and when you did one of those things that everybody says, what were you thinking? We could all go, well, let's just take a look, right? Because it's on the screen right here. The, that's what God sees all the time. He sees it before you do. He's got his hand on your shoulder as you both see all of your thoughts. How does that make you feel? Y'all, here's why this is an important question. How you respond to this will tell you so much about who you think God really is. See, some of y'all, by the end of verse 4, are like, Whoa, God, I thought my parents were overbearing. But this is nothing. That's nothing compared to, to you. Back off. You are in my space. Who are you to look in on me like that? And you're thinking, that screen needs to be destroyed immediately. If your first response to God knowing everything about you is defensive, then listen, God is primarily just a judge in your eyes right now. There to take account of your right and wrongs. And when you die, he'll tally the points and decide whether you get into the good place or the bad place. And that offends you because you haven't really agreed to be in his courtroom like that. But then there are others who hear this and they kind of nod their heads in agreement. Like, yeah, God sees everything. Sees all I do. And I definitely do more bad than good. You kind of own that. But he has to forgive me, so I'm good. And you're unaffected by the fact that God knows everything about you. You're in denial. And I've met so many Christians who are here believing that God is some kind of a judge, but you treat Jesus as your immunity card. So you don't really need to care what God sees because you got immunity from his judgment. And you do what you want through life, kind of banking on standing before God one day, and God's just going to be like, ah, don't worry about it, man. It's all good. Just, just kind of come on in here, right? Listen, if you don't care that God sees everything, then you're seeing God only as merciful. You're in denial of your regular need for grace, of the wickedness of your own heart, and denial of the authority of God in your life. You may profess to be a believer, a follower of Christ. But if your life doesn't show that you submit to God, you function like an atheist. You don't believe in God. You believe in some moralistic deism that turns God into a butler who's just there to hold the door for you as you dance your way into heaven. You say platitudes like, oh, I'm so glad God is watching over me. Are you? Like, are you really when you think on that? Because Jesus is not your flu shot. Right? That's not who he is. So what's the right way then? What's the right way to, to understand and approach uh, what David is saying here? See, the biblical way to respond to God knowing us better than we know ourselves? Well, David starts down that road in verse 6, saying something very helpful and also very just human at the same time. It's true for how we respond to this whole psalm. Look at verse 6. This wondrous knowledge, it's beyond me. It's lofty. I'm unable to reach it. See, David is saying there's a gap between what God knows and what David knows. And in fact, just the knowledge about how God knows what he knows is too far great for David to even get his head around. And he's humbled by this. The king, King David is humbled, but that humility does not lead him to a place of despair. The one who rightly understands God will approach God with humble thankfulness. And that response right there is the response of the one who gets the message that's at the core of Christianity. See, the way I've explained it before, in the eyes of God, when he looks at you, 
And when he sees all of you, here is the gospel reality in that moment. You are simultaneously more sinful than you ever even imagined. And yet, you are more loved than you ever thought possible. That's the gospel, right? Your awareness of your sinfulness will shatter your pride. When all your thoughts and all your intentions are laid bare, what room is there for pride? Your awareness at the same time, though, of God's love fills your heart with thankfulness. See, to be known by God is to be fully known, but also fully loved. If you're known but not loved, that's judgment. If you're loved but not really known, that's just sentimentality. The cross, though, the cross is where you see the judgment of God and the mercy of God meet. That's why we're so big on it around here all the time. He loves you still. He knows it all. He loves you still. And so a measure by which you really understand the gospel of Jesus Christ is to ask yourself, are you a, are you a humble person? And consider it this way, you know, are you aware of your flaws? When you're in conflict, are you assuming that you are a sinner first and sinned against second? But then also, are you thankful? Are you thankful for the love of God for you? Church, this is why we major on the gospel all the time. Because we are to be humbled and at the same time just worshipfully thankful for the God who has given his son for us, even though we ran from him. What a great God we serve. And that gospel message to some of you, that's all you need to hear today and you need to return to him. But look at the second stanza. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. There's this old poem by um, Francis Thompson. It's called The Hound of Heaven. All right. It's a pretty long poem, but considered one of the, the greats really in Christian literature where he goes through his life and talks about how he's just running hard away from God, running to the ends of the earth, running to different pleasures in order to uh, different projects, hoping that something will satisfy him. Always running from God, but the whole time knowing that God loves him. Yeah. That's what's so, uh, so cool about, about the poem. He has this moment where he's running And he's saying as he's still running that he knows one day this run is going to end in his surrender to God finally. And when he does surrender, it's going to be surrendering to love. And he knows that that day is coming because the hound of heaven cannot be outrun. Now, here's a way to pray this stanza, verses 7 through 12. God, you're always with me, and that's good for me. Let me cut uh, right to something here. We're reading this psalm uh, through the perspective of the New Testament. That's because Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. So the New Testament actually gives us the fullest understanding of what's happening in the Old Testament. That's why it quotes the Old Testament so much. And so for us, when the phrase, where can I go to escape your spirit shows up, there's an even deeper meaning. For Christians, the spirit of God isn't just nearby. The spirit of God called the Holy Spirit resides within us, which means we're never, listen, it means we're never alone. This this is good news. God is still Emmanuel. He is still with us. It's fantastic news. 
I'm going to show you how fantastic this news is through verses 11 and 12. How many times, how many times have you said to yourself some version of verse 11, surely the darkness will hide me, the light around me will be night. How many times you said that when it came to something you did or thought in secret? Listen, that God is with you right there. That's good news in two different ways. Listen, those of you who have secret sin, it's actually good news. Those of you who have secret suffering, it's good news. Let me talk to those of you who are immersed in the, 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 some dark sin that, that you think is in secret. Verse 11, nobody's watching. Nobody will know. Surely the darkness will hide me. Maybe for you that means I'll look at porn because nobody will know. I'll cheat on this project because nobody will know. I'll manipulate this situation to my ends because nobody will know. I'll spend money wildly to live a second life and nobody will know. I need to tell you something right now. There is no such thing as secret sin. God knows it. God sees it all. God is with you. The darkness isn't hiding you from him. Uh, This is denial. It's pretending, but it's not secrecy. There's an old poem that says it this way, darkness and light in this agree. Great God, they're both a light to thee. Thine hand can pierce thy foes as soon through midnight shades as blazing noon. And maybe right now, God's making you aware of this. The hound of heaven has finally revealed himself to you. Listen, the reason it's great news, the reason it's great news that God is right there with you in your, what you thought was secret sin, it means you are never too far gone to turn to him. You understand that? The nastiness of your sin, the darkness of your sin, you cannot outrun the love of God for you even there. He will forgive you even there. Y'all, this is what led me to faith. It was a realization that my flight away from God was futile. And what I was running from was love. And you need to surrender today. You need to surrender that secret sin that you think nobody else knows about and God is seeing it all along. That should cause you a moment uh, of real sobering, but then a moment of thankfulness that God opens his arms like a father with love and says, come home. Several people have done that here in our church recently, and I implore you today, surrender that secret sin. Do not carry it anymore. Today is the day of your deliverance from that. Now listen, there's a second group. And you're, that's to those of you who are suffering in secret, who walk through your days trying to hold it together, but you're hurting. And you actually, in the darkness, you kind of, you mask it with a smile. You mask it by going through the motions. But then when you slip into secret, what you think is secret, all alone, and you cry, when you slip into despair, when you slip into that honest space, where you will actually allow your pain to come out and it just kind of swallows you whole. Listen, you think no one sees that. You think you are alone. God is there too. God is there. He sees your hurt and he says, I am your shelter. I am your refuge. So come and cry to me. Right, Lamentations 3 says, my soul is afflicted. My, My soul, it's bowed down within me. Yet this I call to mind. And I have hope. What is it? The Lord's, because of the Lord's faithful love, we don't perish. His mercies never end. Psalm 23. 
says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. You're still there. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me because I'm a sheep and I'm comforted by my shepherd. It means if you ask for mercy, even there, even there he'll give it because he's your father that loves you. You can't outrun him. You can't hide from him. And it is a great, great thing that that is true. And if you are hurting today, that's why I told you this, this psalm feels like the father's embrace. You need to hear that you can't outrun God as good news. That you can lean into his embrace. Some of you need to come up after the service, talk to one of our prayer team members, one of our pastors. Say, I've been hurting all alone. But I know God loves me. I hear that. Will you pray for me? And let the church, let the church just physically represent the Father's arms embracing you. Third stanza, verse 13. It was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. This section is particularly powerful, isn't it? Maybe we can pray it this way. God you created me, so I have value and purpose today. See, these verses beautifully expand the reality of Genesis 1, 27, 28, that God created us in his image. Male and female, he created us. And David is, is expounding on what happened there, talking about how it's still true for each individual. He's saying, you knew me before I was ever conceived. And it was you who put me in my mother's womb. Listen, I need to to say something, and I need you to hear it, I hope, coming from a shepherd. This right here is why Christians take a stand against abortion. It's because we believe that life and personhood begin there at conception. A human soul is involved right there at the moment that there is life. And because we believe all people deserve dignity, we speak up and we stand up, especially for those who can't speak up and stand up for themselves. That includes people in the womb. Listen, in 2016, 18% of all pregnancies in North Carolina ended in abortion. That was 74, 74 abortions per day in the last year that we have all the data totaled for. What we want is not this tragedy. What we want is dignity and honor showed to these people that are made in God's image. But listen, we cannot, we cannot as a church be ignorant um, to the issues, the systemic issues that go on around that. As the church, this is where y'all rubber meets the road. See, if we say this is murder, But we don't say to the mother, we're here for you. We'll help you. We'll get bottles and diapers and we'll walk with you through all of this. We'll watch that little one while you go to work. We'll throw showers. We'll throw birthday parties. We'll come over. We'll let you take a nap, right? We'll help you with school. We'll support you. If we're not willing to say all that, then we don't understand this as a gospel issue about human dignity. So we need to keep our mouths shut. We can't say this is murder. You're wrong and good luck. That's sinful. And that is a, just a blight 
on the gospel. So we got to get involved. We got to adopt. We got to foster. We got to come alongside of families. We got to get soccer cleats, basketball shoes, right? We got to get school books. We got to throw graduation parties. And we got to lean on each other and cry as they drive off into adulthood. All right, we got to grow old and gray and a little bit crazy because we've been giving our best to children that could never repay us because that's the gospel. That's the gospel. So we got to get in the fight lest we join a whole host of people who look back on the civil rights movement with shame because they just stood on the sidelines and now they wish they could have been involved. So listen, today after every service, there are reps from a couple of different organizations that we partner with here in Charlotte, a congregation for kids, um, congregations for kids and Christian adoption services. And I want you to just, I just encourage you to talk to someone. Also on February 5th, we're going to have our first ever um, adoption and foster care interest meeting where you can come talk to some families that have gone down this road and, and figure out what it might look like for you to get involved there. Just come ask questions and learn. Now, look, before I go to this next stanza, I need to say something because I recognize the stats that I quoted, which means some of you in here likely had an abortion. And you're wondering, are you accepted here? Are you accepted or are you now ostracized because of that? Listen, I need you to remember you are never too far gone from God. You are not defined by your past. Like anyone else, you need to own your sin, repent, and receive the love of the Father. But of course, you are accepted here. This is the reason we are named Mercy Church. It's because we were people that did not deserve the love of God. It was extended to us when we didn't deserve it. The gospel, another way to describe the gospel in one word is just mercy. It's mercy of God towards us. So we do not throw judgment. We extend the Father's arms like I talked about. And we love one another with the love of the Father who has just given so much to us in Christ. We are messed up sinners that God has shown his love and mercy to. So you can receive that love. That's the message coming at you today. And I hope an overwhelming waterfall. God sees you, he knows you, he's with you, and he loves you. Receive that love today. And let us walk through healing with you. Here's verse 19. God, if only you would kill the wicked. You see something start to almost change here. If only you would kill the wicked, you're, you bloodthirsty men, stay away from me. Who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. It's pretty like just a real tone shift, it seems at first. Now, again, we get the benefit of reading this on this side of the cross, which informs how we relate to it. See, David sees people doing things that you only do if you're an enemy of God. They're bloodthirsty with no regard for life, for dignity or justice, no regard for the oppressed, no regard for the Imago Dei. And he wants God to take them down. He considers God's enemies, his enemies. David has the authority of a king to take military action as Israel's king against God's enemies. And there are times where he does and times where he doesn't. And there's no way for us to really know if that's connected to this psalm. So here's how we look at it. We do know that because of Christ, Paul in the New Testament looks back and says, we don't attack our enemies. No, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. 
He says, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. In fact, Deuteronomy 32 that Paul quotes says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So how do we deal with when we feel wronged, when we feel like someone is our enemy, like someone has hurt us? Here's the next way we pray. God, you will deal with sin. You will deal with sin. So I'm free. I'm free to forgive and to love. And when we're willing to hand over, when we get to that spot, we're willing to, this is hard, to hand over justice to the Lord, we can be released from it. We deserved God's vengeance. God forgave us so we can forgive others and love them even when they would harm us. But David is showing here what's so good about this is that that's no easy task. That's no easy task down in the heart. In fact, right after he says that he hates them with extreme hatred, look, he pauses. This is where our psalm finishes. Look at verse 24, uh, 23, 24. Search me. Search me, God. Know my heart. You see that verse one, it was, you have searched me. And now he's switching it to asking for that. Search me. You've known my heart. You've known my heart. Test me. Know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. This is the last part of our prayer about God knowing us. It is surrendering ourselves to God and asking for him to actively guide us towards the way of everlasting life. See, the other parts of this prayer were not necessarily active, right? They were acknowledging, David was acknowledging God's role in our life, but this is active. This is active. This is our response to God knowing us. This is the last part of your prayer. God, you know me and love me fully, so lead me away from sin and towards you. Oh, this is maybe the hard, this is probably the hardest prayer out of all of these. You know me and love me fully. I'm acknowledging it. So lead me away from sin and towards you. This is the prayer of the one who is starting to see how good, how good the knowledge of God is. You start to trust that God is both holy and he's merciful. You start to see how your sin will never satisfy you the way that you thought it would. It'll never satisfy you the way that you're now beginning to see God's love will satisfy you. So you finally get to a place where you can say, God, search out my heart because I don't want anything else getting in the way of that onslaught of love that you have for me. I want that. So search me out, God. I know I still have sin, so search me out. Lead me, lead me towards you. I wanna finish this giving you a chance to pray this prayer. So I know um, it's actually so good. The second time we're gonna pray together in this, um, in this morning, but I think it's such a, a good thing. It's a good way to respond to God's knowledge of us. So if you would, if you would bow your head, get into a posture of prayer, I want you to ignore everything going on around you. I want you to listen as I kind of walk you through um, how you can pray and respond to the Lord. Here's the first one. You say, God, you know everything going on with me and that's good for me. You tell him, believe it. God, I know. I know you know. God, break down any defense that's there. Help me to see that this is good, that you see me fully.
Next one is, God, you're always with me. You're always there, and that's good for me. Thank him. Thank him for his presence in your life. Look back on those times and where you realize now, man, God was there, and then celebrate he's still here now. If you're in sin, this is really hard, but you need to thank him that he sees it and that he's there in the middle of it, that you cannot run farther than God can find you. You can't outrun him, and you need to confess because his goodness in your presence is in you finally surrendering your sin and leaning into him. And if you're suffering, oh, I just pray that you would thank the Father. He's there. He's there. The next one is, God, you've created me. You, you created me. So I have value and I have purpose today. God created you. He's known you since before your days ever began. He knew what you were getting into today, David says. And he loves you and he values you. Thank him. Maybe you don't feel valued. Maybe you feel discarded. Maybe you feel ignored, isolated. No, you have great value, great purpose. You're made in his image. Thank him. God, you will deal with sin, so I'm free to forgive and love. If you can, if you can, pray that. I'm entrusting justice to God. God, help me to forgive as you forgave me and to love as you have loved me. And the last one is God, you know me. It's just acknowledging what we've been praying. You know me and love me fully. So lead me away from sin and lead me towards you. If you're not a Christian, listen, that prayer right there, that can be your prayer, finally giving your life to Christ. You know me, you love me, lead me away from sin. He said that he has died for your sins. And you do not have to work your way towards him. You receive his forgiveness of your sin. Receive his payment on the cross. Receive his death. Receive his resurrection. And the power of sin will be broken from over you. And you can have life everlasting. Ask him for that. God, I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I give my life to you. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your grace towards us. We are, as 1 Peter 2 says, a people who had once not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And so we celebrate your mercy towards us. And might we as a church herald 
that mercy, that undeserved love and grace to all that we come in contact with. Might we believe it? I pray for those that are believing it for the first time right now. Might we believe it? Might we celebrate it? Might we fall deeper, make our home deeper into that great love? Thank you for your love, Father. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.